You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. On behalf of the 26 disciples here from Los Angeles, we want to thank the great London Church for an incredible 2013 EMC. Angeles is radicalization. And uh, one of the most exciting aspects of the ministry for Elena and myself has become the International College of Christian Ministries. And uh, we started with 30 students, and uh, 10 of them have already been sent out by the Holy Spirit to the mission fields. And we have 10 that are with us here today. I'd like for them to stand on up if they would, please. are planning to go to the Central and South American Missions Conference in February. But today we really need to lift up applause to our God, who Almighty reigns. And yes, we've got some powerful and dynamic brothers and sisters numbered amongst us. But today is all about our God, Almighty reigns. And I really appreciate the theme that Michael and the brothers and sisters here have selected, which centers in on the great book of Revelation, which I think we could call the letter of radicalization. In Greek, Revelation is apocalypsis. It means disclosing the things that would not otherwise be known. It was written during the height of persecution under Domitian in about 95 A.D. The revelation of Jesus was given to the last living apostle, the apostle John. And Jesus comes to him, not the effeminate white Jesus of so many books, not even the crucified Jesus, but the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. And he gives his revelation to John on the island of Patmos. And there he delivers a message to the seven churches. Chapter 2, verse 4, he tells the church at Ephesus, You've forsaken your first love. In chapter 2, verse 10, he tells Smyrna, You have cowardice about suffering and death. In chapter 2, verse 14, to Pergamum, he says, You are full of false doctrine that's led you so far away from God, you're an immorality. In chapter 2, verse 20, he tells the church of Thyatira, you are tolerating sin. In chapter 3, verse 1, to Sardis, he says, you have, you have a great reputation, but in fact, you are dead. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says to Philadelphia, you have become so weak. In chapter 3, verse 16, his most condemning challenge was the Odyssey. He says, you are lukewarm, you make me want to vomit. My spirit is left the church. Now we need to understand that the condition of these seven churches is because of persecution. And the next thing that we see if you read into chapter 4 is that John is whisked up to heaven to celestial worship. 
But before we join him in heaven, we need to talk a little bit about numerology in the book of Revelation. Write these things down, please. The number seven means complete. So, for example, we know from the Bible itself that there are other churches in the province of Asia besides the seven listed. There's also Colossae and there's Hierapolis. So what does it mean, the seven churches of Asia? It means the complete churches. So this isn't a message to just the seven churches of Asia. This is a message to all the churches of all the ages. Three, the number three. It means the realm of the spirit. Well, we understand that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The three cycles in the book of Revelation of seals, trumpets, and bowls. Then there's the created things that Michael talked to us about. All of creation was broken down to the people of that time into four aspects of living creatures. The number six means incomplete. It's man's number. Why? He was made on the sixth day. It's less than seven. Seven is complete. It's perfect. So the mark of the beast is six, six, six. Perfection and its multiples, ten, a thousand is to be perfect, to be saved. Twelve is the people of God. So you have twelve, the sons of Jacob, and twelve, the apostles. And so when the number 24 is used, it means all the faithful people of God of all time. But the most interesting number, the one that baffles people the most, is the number three and a half. Of course, it's exactly half of seven. Seven's complete. Seven is of God. What is three and a half? Well, it is the length of time that our sovereign God allows evil to reign. So it can be three and a half years, or 42 months. That's three and a half years. Or 1,260 days. That's 42 months as if they were 30 days in each month. Now, I think we're ready to join John back up in heaven in the throne room. Shall we go there? Let's go to chapter 5. He sees God on the throne. The creatures, the four living creatures are worshiping him. Heaven is shouting, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, we read this. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. So we see that God in his right hand, symbolizing his power, has a scroll written on both sides. What's that mean? It means it's the complete message of God. It's everything. And it's sealed with seven seals. Well, this is not uncommon to a person of this day and age because marriage documents under Roman law were sealed by seven witnesses. So let's read on. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. Well, that that means no one presently living or even lived in the past, no celestial being could open it up. How serious is this? Verse 4, John says, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So let's stop right here. 
We see right here, one of the 24 elders breaks out of the pack. And he says, you don't have to weep. I've got good news. He says, the lion of the tribe of Judah is coming. You know, we think of a ferocious lion. He says, the root of David, David the mighty conqueror of the Philistines. He says, they have triumphed. The word there is literally, they have conquered. And he's able to open it. Now, then verse 6 becomes shocking. What's he see? Then I saw a lamb. Looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures, the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Well, can you imagine the shock? It wasn't a lion. It wasn't this mighty warrior. It was this lamb. But then John remembers the words of his original disciple, John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What made him worthy? He was slain, and yet he was standing on the throne. Now, in almost all scriptures, we have the connotation that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. So when you're seated, you're finished with your work. You know what I'm talking about? Right now, Jesus is standing. He's ready to take action. He says right here, he had seven horns, seven eyes, with the seven spirits of God. That's the Holy Spirit sent out into all the earth. He says he sees everything. He knows everything. Okay, so what happens? Well, then... Each one of the seven seals is opened by Jesus. And so it's, it's an exciting group of events that bring a sense of horror to the earth. The first seal is open, and this is the conqueror, the threat to the Roman Empire. The next seal is war. The next one's famine. The next one's death through disease and the sword. The fifth seal is open, and the cries of the martyrs come out. And they say, who is going to avenge our blood? The sixth seal is open, and it's an earthquake. And then we read in chapter 8, verse 1, these words. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now remember, he's seeing this in, 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 in a vision. So he's waiting there. Wow. Nobody. I mean, there was incredible singing and worship, but now nobody's saying anything. That just would get you, get you freaked out. It's, there's something ominous going to happen. Well, then it happens. Verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. Oh, no. Now the angels are getting ready to act. They stand before God, and to them were given the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets of terror and judgment to come upon the earth. After the sixth trumpet is sounded and before the seventh is given, we go to chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head and his face was like the sun. His legs were like 
fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. Now, someone suggested this is Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's his angel. It's his angel. So, you know, God did this in the Old Testament. He would send his angel down to earth. How powerful was this angel? (laughs) He's got one foot in the sea and the other on the land. It means he's got authority over everything. (laughs) And here's where people get confused. It says he was holding a little scroll. People don't understand. This is the same scroll. It's only little in comparison to the size of this giant angel. But look what it says. It's a little scroll which lay open in his hand. Why was it open? The seven seals have been opened. This is the message. It's going to come. Remember Apocalypsis? Something's going to be disclosed that up to this time has never been disclosed. Shall we go further? Verse 5. Then the angel I'd seen standing on the sea and on land raised his right hand to heaven. Can you picture this giant angel? He looks up. He puts his right hand in the air, not too unlike the being, the archangel of Daniel chapter 12. Now in Daniel 12, he raises both hands. Here it's one hand, because we read on. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that's in them, the earth and all that's in that, and the sea and all that's in it. And he says, there will be no more delay. God, I pledge there will be no more delay. in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet. So the seventh trumpet hasn't sounded yet. The mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now what is the mystery of God? Well, the mystery of God, believe it or not, we know. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians 3, Paul says in verse 2, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation. Pretty cool, huh? Verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Jesus Christ. What is the mystery? The mystery is the fact that even the Gentiles are going to be saved. And that's pretty good news for everybody here in the building. It is a special thing to think that you're specially adopted by God. Elaine and I are are, are very blessed. Is that in February we had 
uh, our daughter Olivia gave birth to her first child and her, her name is Scarlett she came to stay with us uh, just uh, about a month ago and yeah she stole our hearts just the cutest thing yes. and uh, we, just, we just had an, an incredible time but we actually had been blessed and a lot of people don't notice with a, a grandchild earlier our son, Sean, had married last year, and he married a, a beautiful young lady, an awesome young lady who's an anesthesiologist, and she had a daughter when she was in her teens, and that's Alicia. She's 15 right now. So I text her at school every now and then, abuelo kip, you know, keeping up on her. So I have one child by blood, and I have one adopted grandchild. Yes. But I love them both the same. Amen. So that's the plan of God. Isn't the plan of God flat awesome? The Jews who are his people by blood. And the Gentiles who are adopted through Jesus Christ. Is that, is that incredible or not? So the mystery is known. Well, let's get back to the text here. Revelation 10. He says, so what, what's the big deal? I mean, if the mystery is known... Well, here's the big deal. It says, but in the days, when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished. <gasps> we don't know how the mystery of God is going to happen. God has a secret plan about how to evangelize the Jew and the Gentiles. He's got a secret plan on how to evangelize the whole world. Michael, do we have any more time? Do we do you need to cut it right here? Or? Shall we go on and see what the plan is, guys? But later on in chapter 10, we find... An incident where Ezekiel's told to take the scroll out of the angel's hand and eat the scroll. Yes. Just like Ezekiel in chapter 3. Yeah. And just like Ezekiel in chapter 3, it tasted good. It doesn't the word of God always taste good. But then when you know you gotta give that message out, it hits your stomach. And it can be a little bit scary. And you get some spiritual indigestion. There's some uncomfortability about the message. But nonetheless, Ezekiel eats it up. And now it's a part of him. And he is going to reveal to us the secret plan to evangelize all nations. Chapter 11. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there. You know, right here we understand that when you measure something, it has one of two meanings and sometimes they're both together. Just like a, an architect would measure the floor planned out before he builds the house. So measuring in the Bible talks about a coming transformation. Also, measuring in the Bible talks about protection. So right here we're going to encapsulate both. He says, go and measure the temple of God. Now, 
no longer is there a physical temple. So he's talking about the temple of God, the church. And he says, and, and, and measure the altar and, and count the worshipers. Every single person counts. You know, God wants to count. We need to keep counting. You're talking about? I mean, you certainly don't want to be left out of that count, right? Okay. Verse 2. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Now, right here, we need to understand the concept of the spiritualized Christian. He's now given a, dare we say, a memory that goes back in time when the Romans, the Gentiles, came and destroyed Jerusalem. And so he says right here, they will trample on the holy city for 42 months. What is 42 months? Three and a half years. That's the amount of time that God allows evil to reign. Verse 3. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. There you go. Three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. Oh, my gosh. They're, they're mourning already. These are the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of earth. They're going to act. And, of course, this is kind of reflecting back to the remnant days of Zechariah and Joshua the priest in referring to the two olive trees and two lampstands. And what's it mean? Well, it simply is referring back to that awesome passage in Zechariah 4.6. The Lord Almighty says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. These These are why these two witnesses are going to speak. He says, if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so it will not rain during the time they are prophesying, and they have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Wow, so now we know that these figures are kind of identified for us. We know the one that had the power to shut the sky, that's Elijah, right? And the one that turns the, the, the water to blood, that's Moses. So we have, kind of speaking right here, the two witnesses, and there have to be two witnesses, to show that it's absolutely true. That's what the Bible says. If something's going to be true, it's got to be sustained by two or three witnesses. And so two witnesses are getting up here, they're preaching the word of God, and they're saying, this is the truth. And so we see right here is the man that represents the law and the man that represents the prophets. All these things now are going to come to full fruition. And the mystery of God is going to be revealed. Not only the mystery of God is going to be revealed right now, but how the mystery of God is going to be accomplished. How the evangelization of the nations is going to take place. Verse 7. Now when they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Well, the beast would be the Roman emperor or the Roman empire. So, well, hold it. As they finish their testimony, the beast attacks them, overpowers, and kills them. Does this sound like a good plan? Their bodies 
were lying in the street of the great city, which is frequently called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So we see it is Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was known in that day as, with the, amongst the Jews as the navel of the world. And he says the wickedness of that city, even though it was once God's city, is like Sodom. It's so wicked. It's like Egypt. It's enslaved by sin. Verse 9. For three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts. Oh, good, the prophets are dead. Because these two prophets had tormented those who lived on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood upon their feet, and terror struck all who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, just like after Jesus' resurrection. And a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the survivors were terrified and gave glory to God in heaven. Well, that's the plan. We preach the word of God like fire. We get killed as martyrs. God resurrects us, and then we go to heaven. What an incredible plan. When the guys arrive in heaven, all heaven breaks out in song, and part of the song is, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty. And how does this half of Revelation end? Verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. We hadn't seen that for a long time. We lost that in 586 B.C. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm, just like on Mount Sinai. The presence of God was now open. It was open to receive all those who were faithful to the plan and open to receive all that they would bring by obeying that plan. Is that cranking or not? I have four charges. Number one, our radicalization, our dedication begins today. As the angel said, no more delay. You know, it's very interesting. In chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus is called the faithful witness. The word witness in Greek is our word martyr. It's our word martyr. There's many passages, but the one I want to bring to your attention is in chapter 12, verse 17. It says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. The woman is the Jewish nation. The rest of her offspring are Christians. Those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Let's, let's look at one more just so we get understand the basic thought here is that to be faithful to God, you must have an ongoing testimony. If you do not have an ongoing testimony, you are not viewed as a faithful witness. You are not saved. Look at this in chapter four, uh, chapter 20, verse 4. I saw the thrones on which preceded those who were given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. You know, 
challenge you to consider. Because with the Ephesus church losing their first love, with Smyrna having cowardice and drawing back from the suffering, and from Pergamum with, with false doctrine kind of being fuzzy who's lost and who's saved, we now understand why people were not considered faithful witnesses, faithful to the plan of God and the evangelization of the nations. I can relate very well to this. I was baptized April 11th, 1972. So praise God, I'm 41 years old in the Lord. Now, Elena joined me in the 40s club just a couple of months ago. She turned 40 years old in the Lord in August. was reached out to by a disciple, I was a very religious person. And yet, my life had gotten into wicked impurity in my fraternity house. I called myself a Christian, even went to church every Sunday. And yet, I was, I was scared to share my faith. And so, when I learned the true plan of salvation, you had to have faith, you had to turn away from sin, you had to become a disciple, and then you had to be baptized for remission of sins, my singular biggest cost was sharing my faith at the fraternity house. Well, the Lord blessed me at first, and my first five weeks as a Christian, the Lord allowed me to baptize three of my fraternity brothers. I go, it's cranking, it's fun to baptize. But about a year later, after a couple others had been baptized into Christ, the, one of the officers in my fraternity, who, who's called the Magister, the pledge trainer, went to the officers of the fraternity and said, listen, Kip is causing division. Kip is taking advantage of all of our young pledges. And so I was called into the meeting of all the officers in the fraternity. What was at stake? My pin. Now, ironically, the Sigma Chi pin is a white cross. It's supposed to remind us of Jesus. But, of course, fraternities are just full of all kinds of iniquity. And I remember, I, I, was, I was so nervous when I got in there. Because my dad was a Sigma Chi, my grandpa was a Sigma Chi, and I was just thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose favor. <laughs> if I get kicked out, what's this say? And then the Magister, Roger, gets on up, and he goes, this is what Chip's been doing with all the young pledges. He says, come to Bible talk. Come to church. Come study the Bible. Now right then, I got ticked off. And I said, Roger, that's no different than you guys. You guys say, come to the ABC Liquor Lounge. Come to Dub's Bar. And by this time, all of the officers were laughing. And the president goes, oh man, Roger, Kimberly got you on that one. Says we're done right here. And two weeks later, I was like the Tribune in the fraternity. We need 
to understand that persecution is a part of the plan. It shows if we really believe. If we are silent and we keep our moral goodness, but we do not testify, we remain unfaithful. You know, we had an, uh, an incredible young man baptized in early May. His name is uh, Garrett Bradley in the uh, Inland Empire. And this guy was, comes from a super religious background, went to his father's church. His father was, I think, a deacon in his church. And Garrett studied quite quickly. And on the Sunday that he was baptized, I believe it was uh, May 5th, his father came to the baptism. And he just kind of stood kind of skeptically back and just took everything in and was very cold and distant. Well, then after the baptism, he starts Googling City of Angels International Christian Church and finds every cult thing you can imagine. He comes to Midweek, and this is in Argo's region, Inland Empire, and he goes, he just, just as a beeline for Argo. (laughs) He says, Argo, I've got to talk to you. I have got to talk to you. I have been reading about everything on the internet that it says about your church and this sold out movement and I have never seen so much persecution about one church. I've made a decision. It must be the true church. You see, a church that receives no persecution has no testimony. That our former fellowship hasn't had persecution for 10 years. What statement does that make from the Word of God? My question to you is Are you being persecuted? The promise of Scripture is anyone who dares live a godly life will be persecuted. This is the plan of God to bring the nations to salvation. Our second point. When you go home, call all your members to repent. Turn to Revelation 21. Verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now, the Bible says that in Thyatira, they were tolerating sin. They allude to the sin of immorality. I think that most of us would be, well, I hope, indignant about that. And you look at the other sins here on the list and you see murders. I mean, if we had murders in our church that were unrepentant, immoral, those practicing magic arts, idolaters, and liars, what would our church be? But notice the, two, the first two sins that will keep you out of heaven are cowardliness and unbelief. Cowardliness and unbelief. And so a cowardly person doesn't testify and therefore is unfruitful. An unbelieving person may even testify, but he just doesn't think that England's open. He doesn't think that Paris is open. He doesn't think Amsterdam is open. I mean, you know, Europe, it's just so atheistic. Why even try? Our 
problem is, probably in this room, is that we testify. I pray that you testify. I can use an amen on that one. Amen. I pray that you've been personally fruitful this year. Yes. If not, then repent of cowardice or unbelief. Yes. But for we are in sin, and the reason our churches are not multiplying is that we tolerate fellow brothers and sisters that are cowardly. Kind of unbelief. In other words, they're not bringing any visitors to Bible talk. Now, granted, there may be a Bible talk or two, you don't have someone. There may be a, a Sunday service or two, you don't have someone. But I'm, I'm saying, generally speaking, disciples make disciples. Yeah, yeah. Are we right here? Yeah. And so to allow people to be cowards, to have unbelief, is, is really the most unloving thing we can possibly do. That's why we have discipling. Amen. A church that is tolerant of sin is a church that doesn't have discipling. When our former fellowship stopped discipling, it stopped having forceful advancement. There was no calling out of sin, be it immorality, be it impurity, be it cowardliness or unbelief. If you have an autonomous church, inside that church you've got autonomous Christians. With kind of the idea to say... My life is my own business. Let me tell you something. Your life is my business. You're part of God's church. You represent my Lord. And your life is my business. You know, a lot of people don't know this. But all of the apostles were martyred. They were faithful witnesses. Except John. Kind of. History holds it. Church history holds that they wanted to kill John, the last surviving apostle. I mean, there was just such intense hatred. We're going to get rid of this last guy. Remember the rejoicing? They were giving gifts out at the fact that Christians were being killed. They They were euphoric about getting the last one. And church history holds that they brought him to the Colosseum. The biggest structure to hold the most people. They boiled the oil. They brought our old brother in to the chairs of the people. Finally, this guy who's been tormenting us is going to die. And they throw him in. And nothing happened. Church history says that thousands became Christians out of that one time of seeing the testimonies. Quite interestingly, though, in his latter years, he started discipling this kingdom kid called Polycarp. And you know, if we don't call our kids to be sold out disciples, the movement dies. And Polycarp, interestingly enough, becomes the bishop of Smyrna. Now this is pretty interesting because Smyrna is the place where they had the problems with being cowards because of suffering and persecution. He says be faithful even to the point of death. So it's ironic that Polycarp's there. So when he was 86 years old, and he was the leader of the church there, he was the bishop of Smyrna, Come on, Kim. we find 
that several of the Christians were being fed to the wild beasts. And all of a sudden in the arena, people started yelling named Polycarp, 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 Polycarp. And so the Roman proconsul felt, we've got to go get this guy. So they send a detachment out. They get Polycarp and they bring him to the arena. And when the proconsul saw that he was 86 years old, this old guy, his heart kind of goes out to him. He says, listen, just curse Christ and I will totally release you. Polycarp goes, 86 years I have served him. He has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And the proconsul go, if you don't renounce it, I will burn you alive. Polycarp's answer, you threaten fire that burns for an hour and is over. But the judgment of the ungodly is forever. And he is burned at the stake and martyred and remembered to this day for his heroism. He had to speak up. There could be no more delay. You know, right now, the the Lord has blessed the the, the City of Angels Church in incredible ways. But many people don't know the roots of it. Back in 2003, the Holy Spirit sent Elena and me to Portland that was very decimated by all of the sin, including our own, uh, that brought that church down from 300 to about 25. That was our first midweek meeting. Time we built the church up to almost 500 members in about three years. But these people were mainly people that came on back because they had no place else to go. And so when we gathered together the mission team of 42 sold out disciples to go down to Los Angeles, about a year and a half later, the evangelists did what had been done all throughout all the other churches, took the Portland church back to mainline theology. And we essentially lost that church. Because of the false doctrine. Yeah. Well, because it was 42 sold out disciples, where we were looking out after each other, in our very first year, the Lord gave us 104 baptisms. So after about a year, we were a little bit over 100 members. That's exactly what London has. So in the middle of about 2008, we had 100 members in the City of Angels Church. Now, it's five years later, and every Sunday we have 1,200 at church. We have almost 800 members. And this year, already, we've had 375 additions, 317 baptisms, and 58 restorations. I say that... Not not to boast, but to say, hey, go beyond what we did. In five years' time, where can the London church be? You see, right now, you guys understand the secret plan of God. When we started, we didn't understand the secret plan of God. But now we understand the secret plan of God. You need to make a decision to call every one of your members to be totally committed. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we see how to do this. It says in verse 13, And we urge you, brothers, verse 14, And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everybody. Now, as a younger minister, when I saw cowardice or 
saw unbelief, I'd rebuke it. And it was wrong, but I, I really hurt a lot of people. And when you do something not the Bible way, it can even cause people to fall away. So we need to gain a conviction today that we cannot tolerate the sins of cowardice and unbelief, but we got to do it right. The Bible says right here, we encourage the timid. We go out sharing with them. <laughs> says we help the weak. We get in there and try to figure out whatever their challenges are. And if people are idle, those are the ones you rebuke. <laughs> if they're doing nothing, hey, dude, repent. Amen. So there is a time to call people to repent. Amen, guys? going back to our home churches. The bottom line is we need to call all our members to repent. Whether you're a church leader or a Bible talk leader, you need to do it and do not delay. Point three. We need to tell and teach the remnant. You know, the church at Sardis had a reputation of being alive, but it was dead. It says, wake up! Sadly, our former fellowship thinks two things that they've been told. Number one, that they are a movement. And number two, that they're growing. We have people joining us from all over the world in all different situations. This is just not true. They are deceived. They are deceived. Well, what do, what do, what do we need to do? Well, we, we got to wake them up. That's right. And you know how it is when you wake someone up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I asked Patricia today, did you wake up grumpy? Oh. And she says, no, I let him sleep. <laughs> when you wake remnant people up, they're grumpy. <laughs> but church, we've got to tell and teach the remnant. It's been an incredible year as God has been gathering the remnant. Amen, guys? Yeah. I mean, it's so exciting. All the new remnant groups in Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, Caracas, Guatemala City, Davao, Philippines, and Amsterdam, Netherlands. Amen, guys? That's just this year. Is that incredible? We, we, we've had ministry people like Ronnie Gonzalez in Manila and Mike Adina Santacola in Denver and Chris Bryant in L.A. come back to the Lord. I mean, it's, it's, been, it's been incredible. In L.A., over the past two years, we have had over 150 remnant people join us, either by restoration or placing membership, sometimes by both. But the one I really want to lift up to you right here is a, a person that joined us in February. His name is Renato Trio. Renato's in Sao Paulo. And when everything happened in Sao Paulo, the church there split into 12 semi-autonomous sectors. He was one of the sector leaders. A little over two years ago, he Facebooked me in Portuguese, which I couldn't read. <laughs> know how to use Google Translate at that point, so I just shot it over to Linda Moreno. I said, Linda, what, what does this dude say? He said, bro, they're just asking how you're doing, how's it going, he just wanted to say hi. I said, okay, well, and then she showed me how to do the Google Translate thing, so then I, I shot him back the thing, and so I said hi back to him, and started reaching out to him, and then Linda had mentioned to me, hey, we... We not only knew each other in the olden days when I worked in Sao Paulo, but his wife was one of my very best friends, Mary Josette. Wow. 
So I said, I'm coming down soon. So we got together. We studied every day. And then he was right on the verge of joining the new movement. And he didn't show up. He cut off communication for six months. Then his marriage began to really take. Shows up at Raul and Linda's door. Long story short, we reach out to him. We continue to study. This last February, I went over to Sao Paulo. We studied every day for three days. And he did show up for the final study. And that Sunday, he placed membership along with his whole sector in the Sao Paulo International Christian Church. Amen, guys? When you first wake up the remnant, they're going to be grouchy. They're going to think of all the reasons not to join you. But you got to be bold. You gotta tell them that God's movement is alive and that God has a plan for the evangelization of the nations in this generation. Think about it. Think about what's happened. The, the remnant are so important to us. Now it's it's exciting we have remnant groups, but honestly, remnant groups are weak. You know, remnant is a survivor. It's kind of like someone that's you know gotten in a shipwreck, a fellow shipwreck. Crashes, they swim to the water and just flop on the beach. That's a remnant person. That's right. That's why we encourage remnant people to move to a church planting. That's why the Sorotkins came from the Ukraine to LA and they're beginning to crank. That's why the Aronsons came from Sweden and they're cranking. That's why the Klopex came from Phoenix and they're cranking. That's why the Willises, after leading a remnant group in Brisbane of five that had no baptisms for five years, finally came to L.A. And now they're really cranking. And come December, they're going to be planting the Sydney International Christian Church. But they got to come to a church planting to get that strengthening. Now, we're, we're excited that you guys have done all the work with the Foombas and everything. But, but, but I, I love what Blaze has done. I mean, Blaze has gone after the mainline Church of Christ remnant. That's that Alexi guy that also Facebooked me. I have an awesome Facebook ministry. And so I shout out to all the French-speaking guys. And sure enough, Alexa came to GLC. You heard the story. And now we have nine baptized preachers in Haiti and four churches. Is that incredible or not? You need to understand, we desperately, desperately need the remnant. The top leaders throughout the movement are remnant. I'm remnant. Elena's remnant. I mean, the heart's testimony today was incredible. Now they're shepherds of the London church. That's incredible. But, But they had to be yanked out of their situation and brought to a church planting. Are you with me right here, guys? And that's what it's going to take. But we got to keep loving the remnant and reaching out to them, not being afraid of them, even if they're a little grumpy when we start to wake them up. And it may take two years, three years, but we cannot quit on our brothers. Are you with me right here? we got to tell and teach the remnant. And do not delay. Finally, 
God's plan high. Hold God's plan high. You know, I love the way they've got the crown of thorns printed on the back of our brochures. Is that awesome or not? There's our human plan <laughs> to begin the evangelization of the nations. But today we learned exactly how this was going to be executed. It's awesome. I love the plan. Get out there and preach the word like fire. And then they'll be suffering and you'll be killed. And people are going to gloat over you. There'll be a gift exchange over your, over your grave right there. And then you're going to resurrect. <laughs> That's going to blow their minds. And then you go up to heaven and it's heaven's open. So you get to bring all the people that believed because you had the testimony of martyrdom. I think that's a cranking plan. You know, I see it that it worked in Chennai. When I sent Tim and Leanne to Chennai, oh, let's just say that, that Leanne was a little bit tenuous given the two kids. And the Chennai church, in their minds, were being very gracious. Roger and Debs live in a place of about $300 rent a month, and they had gotten the Kernans a spot for almost $1,000 a month. But it was the same third world thing, just a little bit bigger. When Leanne saw it, she freaked out. Now, I asked if I could tell the story. <laughs> when Leanne saw it, she freaked out. And I knew we were in trouble. Tim calls, bro, we got to move. We got to go someplace else. Bro, you will not leave that place. <laughs> That'll be so disrespectful to these people. Well, bro, what do I do? I said, get some sisters to come and clean it. <laughs> well, to Leanne's credit, that's where they've lived. And then you heard about the situation with the dengue fever. It's very interesting. West, many Westerners would have said, oh, we got to get back to London. Oh, i got to get back to America. No, they didn't. They stayed there. Junior gets sick. And then the Indian Christians go, wow, Leanne, you really do love us. You love us more than your comfort and your health and even your own life. Oh, Leanne, you're awesome. Now, of course, Tim didn't get sick, so, you know. <laughs> the power of this plan is amazing. Suffering and persecution shows that we really believe. You know, I'll never forget, back in the day, we were trying to evangelize the Middle East, which for Americans at least is the scariest part of the world to evangelize because of all the Muslims. Why are the Muslims so scary? Because they're willing to die for their faith. So some Americans go, oh, whoa. And I remember Corey's bravery as he, he started to evangelize the 21 nations of the Middle East. But one in particular stood out to me is one of our brothers, Sammy, who was in Amman, Jordan. He was married and has two kids. And the call went out, we've got to start something in Baghdad. Now, you can't be a full-time minister and go, hey, guys, I'm showing up in Baghdad. <laughs> so they had to think of a way to get disciples in there. So Sammy says, we'll start a restaurant. So they started a restaurant in Baghdad with six disciples. In two and a half years, they had 50 baptisms. But then in 1997... Not only is Sammy arrested, but the 
top Iraqi convert is arrested, Nazar. They're stripped, they're beaten, they're beaten on their backs, and they're beaten on the soles of their feet. They couldn't even walk. Wow. 1998, Sammy is going to be released because he is not a national, and they couldn't hold him. But Nazar, they were going to keep. And then just by chance, but of course his disciples, we know there's nothing by chance. On his way out, Sammy and Nazar rode on the same bus. And they had ten last minutes together. They cried, they sang, they prayed. And as Sammy was leaving, Nazar grabs him and says, Tell the church, I'm faithful. And do not give up. And he died. A martyr in prison. That is our brother. Today, about, I'd say about three weeks ago, Corey came into detail at my house. He goes, bro, bro, I'm back, I'm back. I said, what do you mean you're back? You've been back a long time. He said, no, no, bro, I am back spiritually. I said, okay, what do you mean? He said, bro, I've begun the dream for the Middle East. I said, well, that's awesome. What, What have you done? He says, bro. I have constructed web pages for each capital city of all the nations of the Middle East. I said, well, tell me more. No, 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 I'll show you. <laughs> and so he began to show me the web page. And each web page, it was like, Baghdad, Iraq, ICC. Cairo, Egypt, ICC. Jerusalem, Israel, ICC. And you know, the Bible says, if you believe that you have already received it, it will be given to you. And so church, we know by faith that there is going to be a Baghdad ICC, a Cairo ICC, a Jerusalem ICC. There is going to be disciples in every nation of the Middle East because we already believe it. hold to God's plan. Hold it high. What's the challenge? Well, it's quite simple. Point one, our radicalization, our rededication begins today. Oh, point two, call all your members to repentance. Take the A from all. Point three, tell and teach the remnant. Take the T. And point four, hold God's plan high. H. It's time to take an oath. Just like that angel, let's raise our right hand. What did the angel say? No more delay. Now, last pledge before our Father in heaven. That not only do we now understand the mystery that God has planned all the nations to come into his church in this generation. But now we understand the secret plan. And we are going to begin to put it into action all together now. No more delay. Thank you. God bless. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. 
That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H dot org dot UK. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events, or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye.